Welcome to MBA Podcaster, the only source for cutting-edge information and advice on the MBA application process. I'm Janet Nakano. With an MBA under your belt, higher salaries are likely to come your way. The average salary, according to the 2005 Global MBA Graduate Survey that the council does, was $88,600. But the challenge is how to come up with upwards of $40,000 a year to finance your way through business school so that you can get that higher salary. We'll hear about the different funding options available out there from federal loans to private loans, scholarships to corporate sponsorships, and we'll also find out if you can deduct your MBA expenses on your tax return. We'll talk to a top business school's director of financial aid, an industry analyst, an MBA loan specialist, as well as a tax specialist to find out the best options available to you. You can also visit our website, mbapodcaster.com, for a list of loans and grants available. This is MBA Podcaster. Stay tuned to the rest of the program after a brief word from our sponsor. Support for MBA Podcaster comes from Doostang. Founded in 2005 at Harvard, Stanford, and MIT, Doostang was created with one goal in mind, to successfully advance ambitious professionals in their careers. Doostang offers its members the opportunity to search thousands of high-quality, highly relevant opportunities and tools to leverage their inside connection to get hired. Their rapidly growing community of over half a million of the best and brightest continues to attract in-demand opportunities in finance, consulting, media, technology, and more. MBA podcaster listeners will receive a special discount on Doostang's monthly subscription fee by using the code MBAPODCASTER. Subscription fees begin at just $9.95 per month to access over 10,000 jobs from top employers such as Morgan Stanley, Bain & Company, Google, MTV, Teach for America, and hundreds more. See job postings and learn more at mbapodcaster.doostang.com. That's mbapodcaster.doostang.com. Let's break down financing to three chapters, life before an MBA, life during business school, and the aftermath with rewards, but likely a lot of debt. Daphne Atkinson is Vice President of Industry Analysis for the Graduate Management Admission Council. She says even before you embark on the path of getting an MBA, make sure you put your financial house in order. And what do I mean by that? Well, in particular for full-time students, because they will not be employed, they will not be working, not receiving a paycheck, they need to learn how to live like a student before they become one. They should pay down existing consumer debt, Avoid incurring major expenses, and I'm thinking of things like new cars, a big fancy vacation, um, house purchases. They should also make arrangements for either deferring or paying off any outstanding undergraduate loans they might have. And if they are not already doing so, they need to create a budget and learn how to stick with it. For part-time students, they need to find out uh, to what degree an employer reimburses for degree programs, and if there is a process at their company, how do they go about qualifying for it? 
public institutions, state institutions have in-state tuition and out-of-state tuition, and there's often a, a differential between the two. Private institutions, particularly those that are acknowledged as top schools, have price tickets to go with it. But it doesn't mean that everyone has to be out of pocket seventy-five or a hundred thousand dollars. You know, executive programs, for example, often cost way in excess of a hundred thousand dollars. But those are programs that typically the full cost of program attendance will be underwritten by an employer. Thomas Khalil is director of MBA admissions and financial aid at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. Wharton's tuition is steep, but Khalil says all students admitted will be able to afford their education. For Wharton, the tuition is close to forty thousand dollars a year. Our two-year budget, and that includes rent, food, phone, books, fees, everything they would need to live for two years, and that comes out to roughly a hundred and thirty thousand dollars. We allow them to borrow up to one hundred, approximately one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Which is more than enough to live for the two years, because you also have to understand that they'll also be doing a summer internship, and they can make anywhere from anywhere from ten to thirty or forty thousand dollars in that summer internship. One of the things that sets Wharton apart is that we are need blind. We admit based on merit, based on their ability to be here and be successful, and we guarantee any admitted student financing. We have a program with Citibank, and that essentially means that as a U.S. student, you can um, borrow up to the one hundred and thirty thousand dollars at prime. And international students, without a cosigner, they don't need a cosigner. Their rate is prime plus two、uh, percent. Financial aid options vary at each school, so once you decide on which school you want to attend, your best bet is to visit the financial aid office or check out the school's website. You have to provide tax documents and fill out various forms, including a FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Aid. You'll typically get a quick response from the school on funding options available to you, and you'll then work directly with the financial aid office to secure your loans. Sally May is one lender that offers an MBA loan program that includes a combination of federal Stafford loans and private education loans. Corey McManus is Sally May's MBA loan specialist. She says students should look to apply for the federal Stafford loan first. A Stafford loan is federally guaranteed and generally carries the lowest interest rates and best terms. However, there are limits to what students can borrow under the federal Stafford loan program, and that limit is eighteen thousand five hundred dollars for graduate students. Federal loans can come in two forms: a subsidized and an unsubsidized loan. For subsidized loans, the government pays for the interest accrued until you get out of school and start repaying. An unsubsidized loan is similar to a standard loan, where interest will accrue while you're in school, but still, interest rates on federal Stafford loans are generally lower than private loans. And if you still need more money. Corey McManus says Sally May approves more than 80 percent of students applying for a private loan, and interest rates are based on prime, which she says is currently 7.5 percent. As Thomas Khalil said earlier, Wharton's primary loan provider is Citibank, and even international students can borrow up to $130,000 without a cosigner.
But for international students trying to get a loan through Sally May, Corey McManus says it'll be a little bit more challenging because you do need that cosigner. It's anybody who's a U.S. citizen or permanent resident. So it can be a relative, it can be even a friend, a spouse. You know, it can be someone who simply is willing to do so. The the actual relationship between the cosigner and the borrower. Doesn't really matter to us as long as they have the appropriate INS documentation that they have, you know, the right citizenship status. But going into debt isn't the only way to get your MBA. There are a host of scholarships, fellowships, and TA ships that are available. GMAX Daphne Atkinson says you can do a web search to see what kinds of scholarships are out there. You can also check out our website at mbapodcaster.com for a list of grants. But your best bet again is to check in with your financial aid office, says Atkinson. Schools sometimes have a specific number of scholarships they mark as full tuition. They may have received them from donors、um, who have very specific requirements as you know to whom those scholarships should be granted. There are other schools that have a policy of partial scholarships. That may be anything from half tuition to one quarter tuition. You know, it really depends on how the school has chosen to carve up its scholarship budget. And then there are things like fellowships, which actually may require a student to give back something in return for receiving scholarship money. And that may be,、um, you know, some、uh, limited number of hours that they have to spend. Working at the school, you know, doing something specific, whether it's a, being a research assistant or a teaching assistant for a course, or working in an administrative office. Here are some examples of scholarships available at Wharton. Thomas Khalil. Now we go out with you know, over six million dollars a year in financial aid. There are grants. Some of that is need-based. Some of that is merit-based. So, for example, we have a large fellowship for. Students coming from Mexico interested in finance.、Uh, we have loan forgiveness programs, for example, set up for students going into social impact management, not-for-profit or government. So there are many different ways that the students can get grants. I have one、uh, scholarship for a resident of Lackawanna, Pennsylvania.、Uh, one for a finance major coming from Wisconsin.、Uh, you know, some of them are just very, very specific.、Um, We have fellowships, for example, our Howard E. Mitchell Fellowship, which is a full tuition fellowship for underrepresented minorities. We have an emerging market fellowship that we award to five students each year in the in the incoming class, and that's twenty thousand dollars per year,、uh, based on strictly on need. Now there are opportunities to earn money while you're in school. You can take a, a TA position. My office hires 65 to 70 second-year students every year to help us read applications and interview candidates. But again, you know, it, it's important to think about. You only have two years here, and you should really be focused on being prepared when you come in.、Um, you know, not coming in and saying, "Oh, well, I'll also work and I'll try and you know pay my mortgage and do this." And you're coming here and making a substantial investment in your future, and a large part of that is the academics and the. You know, networks and friendships that you build, and that's really where you want to be focusing your attention, not on, you know, making a couple dollars in a part-time job. And to secure that financial aid, make sure you meet application deadlines, says Daphne Atkinson. The timeline is going to be program and school specific. 
so the the best piece of advice that I can give to prospective students that are looking uh, for financing options is to use the school's website as well as the admissions and financial aid offices to find out what the deadlines are for the various um, pieces of paperwork and documentation that are needed as part of the financial aid process. They need to make sure that above all, they meet those deadlines because there are no exceptions, and if you miss them, you have missed an opportunity. So you really owe it to yourself, if necessary, to keep a very detailed calendar on what is due when and to whom and make sure you stick with it. And so it's, it, it varies from school to school. Some schools have a single point where they consider all of the financial aid and it's all granted and people are all notified on a single date. Other schools um, have a rolling policy as far as notification when you apply and you receive a decision and if you're accepted, you may also find out what your financial aid package may look like. It just depends and, and students will need to really work closely with the school to understand what the, what the timetable is. Once you've secured your loans, your main concern during school is proper debt management, which means making intelligent spending habits, says Wharton's Thomas Khalil. Once you graduate, you'll soon have to start paying back those loans. And the payback options available vary, says GMAC's Daphne Atkinson. That depends on the loan type. I mean, there are a couple of federal programs that allow you up to 30 years to pay back. Federal Stafford loans, for example, are 10 years. And um, some students can even qualify for uh, federal consolidation loans um, that can be paid back over 30 years. So, you know, there are ways for students to meet their loan obligations, and also continue living. Here are some of Sally May's payback options. Corey McManus. There is a standard repayment term of 10 years where principal and interest payments are due each month during the loan repayment term. There's a graduated repayment term where payments are lower at the beginning of repayment where they might need some financial help, and then it steps up at specified periods and in specified amounts over the term of the loan to still get paid off within the 10-year period. Then there's an income-sensitive repayment option where monthly payments are based on the percentage of the borrower's monthly gross income. And then there's extended repayment where eligible borrowers get payment relief through a lengthened repayment term of up to 25 years. Students can also consolidate their loans where federal consolidation loans allow borrowers to refinance one or more federal education loans and significantly lower their monthly payment by extending the payback period. The original loans are paid in full and a new loan with combined balances is issued with new terms, including a low interest rate that is fixed for the life of the loan. Now let's see if you can deduct your MBA-related costs. Under Section 162 of the IRS Code, taxpayers can deduct educational costs if the coursework maintains or improves skills required in their current job. But the education can't be towards a new career. Kathy Burleson is Director of Tax Implementation at H&R Block. So someone who is clearly in a position where the course of study that they undertake uh, for an MBA improves the skills that they're currently engaged in. 
uh, maybe perhaps a marketing executive who is already doing the work that they're learning more about through the MBA program. That's someone that those classes are improving their job skills in their current job so the expenses would be allowed. On the other hand, someone who is not doing work, uh, there, there's one, um, one case of an engineer. And while an engineer might be able to deduct um, education expenses to improve his or her engineering skills, the MBA course that this engineer took wasn't closely related to his job skills and job performance as an engineer. Therefore, the MBA was not allowed for him. If you can take a deduction, you'll be saving yourself a lot of money. And Burleson says there are probably a number of MBA students that are qualified but aren't aware of it. The IRS in recent years has been challenging these deductions, and oftentimes the court has ruled against the taxpayer. So Kathy Burleson says if you're going to take the deduction, make sure you have the proper documentation. It would be helpful to start with a job description, and if their current job description accurately explains what it is that they're doing on the job, and I know a lot, that's not true for a lot of people, but make sure that that job description does accurately reflect what you're doing on the job and be able to look at the skills that are promised through the MBA program that you're pursuing and be able to match those up. It doesn't have to be every single item matching up, but to be able to say that you know, if, if your um, current job, for example, requires that you um, analyze the environment to determine risks and, and threats to your organization in a particular area, and the MBA program provides courses that improve skills in identifying risks and opportunities, then you've got a pretty tight match. If you have your job that's requiring you to do this, uh, this item and a course of study that's improving your skills in doing that same item. What if you get audited and you had changed jobs after your MBA, but you feel it's along the lines of the law? If you change jobs after getting the MBA um, and the new job required an MBA, then, then that actually weakens your case because that, that would show evidence that the MBA might have been acquired in order to meet the requirements of a, a new job or a new profession. If you're going from one, one employer doing one type of work to another employer doing a similar type of work, and they both would benefit from the MBA course of study, then you're probably going to be okay. So it's really going to be a case-by-case situation of what's the difference between the two jobs, and is the MBA um, study and the degree more closely aligned with the old job or with the new job. With proper planning and research, you can find a myriad of ways to finance your MBA. You can also go to our website at mbapodcaster.com for a list of loans and grants available. GMAX Daphne Atkinson says an MBA is an investment, and you have to ask yourself if that's the investment you want to make. One of the intangibles that is difficult, I think, to measure in terms of purely quantitative terms, how do you put a price on the kinds of opportunities that are available to you after you have this credential that weren't available to you before you went to school. Um, And that's what really makes the degree as transformative as it is. Support for MBA Podcaster comes from Doostang. 
Founded in 2005 at Harvard, Stanford, and MIT, Dustang was created with one goal in mind: to successfully advance ambitious professionals in their careers. Dustang offers its members the opportunity to search thousands of high-quality, highly relevant opportunities and tools to leverage their inside connection to get hired. Their rapidly growing community of over half a million of the best and brightest continues to attract in-demand opportunities in finance, consulting, media, technology, and more. MBA podcaster listeners will receive a special discount on Dustang's monthly subscription fee by using the code MBA Podcaster. Subscription fees begin at just nine ninety-five per month to access over ten thousand jobs from top employers such as Morgan Stanley, Bain and Company. Google, MTV, Teach for America, and hundreds more. See job postings and learn more at mbapodcaster.dostang.com. That's mbapodcaster.dostang.com. For more information, advice, and to register for your weekly MBA podcast, visit mbapodcaster.com. I'm Janet Nakano, and this is MBA Podcaster. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned next time when we explore online MBAs and their educational value. Say that you know if if your、um, current job, for example, requires that you.、Um, Analyze the environment to determine risks and, and threats to your organization in a particular area, and the MBA program provides courses that improve skills in identifying risks and opportunities. Then you've got a pretty tight match. If you have your job that's requiring you to do this、uh, this item, and a course of study that's improving your skills in doing that same item. What if you get audited and you had changed jobs after your MBA, but you feel it's along the lines of the law? If you change jobs after getting the MBA,、um, and the new job required an MBA, then then that actually weakens your case because that that would show evidence that the MBA might have been acquired in order to meet the requirements of a, a new job or a new profession. If you're going from one one employer doing one type of work to another employer doing a similar type of work, and they both would benefit from the MBA course of study, then you're probably going to be okay. So it's really going to be a case by case situation of what's the difference between the two jobs, and is the MBA、um, study and the degree more closely aligned with the old job or with the new job. With proper planning and research, you can find a myriad of ways to finance your MBA. You can also go to our website at mbapodcaster.com for a list of loans and grants available. GMAX Daphne Atkinson says an MBA is an investment, and you have to ask yourself if that's the investment you want to make. One of the intangibles that is difficult, I think, to measure in terms of purely quantitative terms: how do you put a price on The kinds of opportunities that are available to you after you have this credential that weren't available to you before you went to school,、um, and that's what really makes the degree as transformative as it is. For more information, advice, and to register for your weekly MBA podcast, visit mbapodcaster.com. 
I'm Janet Nakano, and this is MBA Podcaster. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned next time when we explore online MBAs and their educational value.